I'm Britt Marie Hermes, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. Um, the ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 108, and I'm your host, Yelena Levin, and joining me today is my co-host, Pontus Bokman. Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hello! Hey, Pontus, I think we're missing one. Yeah, Pontus. it's the two, mu- one two of our, musketeers one of today. Our, yeah. yeah, one of our musketeers is uh, away on business. Secret assignment, yeah. something done. Yeah. I don't know what musketeers do, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, he'll be back soon. But today we have a very exciting episode, which I am really... Yeah, we've got two interviews on today. Well, it's one interview with two people, well, yeah. One interview yeah. <laughs> about the same topic yeah. with with two people. One of whom is Brit Marie Hermes, who uh, was a former naturopath turned skeptical activist, who we did speak to on episode number fifty. Mm-hmm. And another one is Aaron Segev, who is uh, president of uh, Australian Skeptics, who we also had on. Oh yes, and they'll be talking about a very unpleasant, I would say, topic, mm. uh, but unavoidable, I guess, in some ways. Uh, it's um, the latest lawsuit that uh, Brit Marie uh, is battling. Yeah, it, it is really, I think it's unavoidable in this business, or if it's not a business, but what, <laughs> the, what we're in, that yeah. uh, quacks and others become very annoyed and they try to stop us. They try to silence skeptics from saying very truthful things, but it's still very, very uh, difficult to handle. I mean, it's costly and it's... Uh, emotionally very very difficult to handle and uh, i think uh, brit marie is a trooper really super yeah, trooper absolutely. when it comes to handling this a, absolutely. very very brave uh, yeah. and we can all help you know making sure that this doesn't hurt her financially absolutely yes and we will explain in the in the episode how you can do that hopefully that this case as few cases before that uh, will prove that we can, as a community, stand up to this kind of bullying. I look at it as a bullying. It is bullying, yeah, absolutely. Um, because there's no ground f- for suing. I mean, and this is what's so frustrating to me. There isn't anything... Brit Marie hasn't done anything wrong. She stated the facts. This is where we are at the moment. You know, we, we're living in two parallel universes. In in one, the facts are facts, the things that happened and things that are actual. And in the other universe, the people who are, you know, claiming to have alternative facts. And then they, if they have money, they can go out and sue people, the left, right and center. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, the skeptics are never on the side where the money is. Absolutely. And this is why the, the alternative side can always hire the best lawyers who know the loops and who know the way around. And uh, it's a bit frustrating. But um, I think with this particular case, we've got a good chance of of showing them 
what's what. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, Hopefully. yeah. So uh, let's go into the actual interview and hear Brit Marie Hermes and Eran Sergev to say what they have to say about this, and and you will learn all about it. So yet again, we're spanning the globe here of, at the ESP. We're recording from Germany, Australia, Sweden and the UK, covering 11 time zones at once. And with us today, we have two guests to talk about a very disturbing and pressing legal matter. First of all, we have former naturopath turned skeptical activist and the very target for this lawsuit, Britt-Marie Hermes. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. Also, we have, all the way from Sydney, Australia, the president of the Australian Skeptics and friend of the show, Iran Segev, who has, with the Australian Skeptics, rushed to Brit Marie's defense in this legal mess. Iran, welcome back to you too. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, nice to have you. Great to have you as well. First, we should say that you, Brit Marie, were on the show in December uh, 2016 on episode 50, where we went over your background as a former naturopath in more detail. But just for new listeners, perhaps you can go through, you know, the short version of your background and your story. Absolutely. So the quick and dirty version is that I attended a naturopathic school in the U.S., I graduated from a school called Bastyr University in 2011. I then practiced as a naturopathic, air quotes, doctor in Washington and then Arizona for about three years. In 2014, I left my practice after discovering that my boss at the time was importing and administering a non-FDA-approved cancer drug uh, and using this to treat cancer patients. And to to do something like this, to import a non-FDA-approved drug and to give it to patients in the way that he was, means that he was committing a federal crime. So this was a real eye-opening experience for me. It eventually caused a major change of heart and a change of profession. It led me to start to look at the profession critically. It helped me find science, really, and to become a skeptic, mostly through the help of reading Simon Singh and Edzard Ernst's Trick or Treatment Alternative Medicine on Trial. And now I write about my experiences as a former naturopath and how I came to be who I am today at my blog, naturopathicdiaries.com. Yeah, it was, it's quite a story, really. And I, I urge anybody who hasn't heard this before, either go back to episode 50 or go to your blog where you can uh, read about this. Uh, it, it's really a very interesting and unique story, I would say. Yeah, thanks. So if new readers want to go back to the early, early posts, they'll find a lot of um, posts exploring what it was like coming out of the profession and really... Uh, the emotional aspect to it. The later posts tend to focus on finding science and re-educating myself and really critiquing what naturopaths, my former colleagues, do in their everyday practices and how they treat patients. You know, some of the backlash you got kind of was similar to, to um, uh, somebody who used to be a believer and coming out of the, uh, you know, religious belief, and then they're losing all their friends and relatives and the society rejects them. So it's like a belief yeah. system, you know. So we understand that you may have to be careful with what you're saying during um, 
an open lawsuit, but to the extent that you can comment on it, who is suing you and why? Right. So I am being sued here in Germany. The lawsuit was filed in Kiel, which is in northern Germany, which is where I live. I'm completing a PhD in evolutionary genomics here at the university. And the lawsuit is brought by an American naturopath named Colleen Hoover, who owns and runs a natural medicine cancer clinic called Nature Works Best in Tempe, Arizona. And she is suing me over claims of defamation from a blog post that I wrote on December 1st, 2016. And in this blog post, I criticize Huber's use of alternative treatments to treat cancer. She uses intravenous vitamin C and intravenous baking soda, and she promotes a sugar-free diet. She also discourages the use of chemotherapy, radiation, and other standard cancer treatments. And I was really quite uh, critical of these practices. I think using IV vitamin C and IV baking soda is worse than bullshit. I think it is dangerous. I certainly wouldn't want any of my loved ones or anyone I cared about to get treated at this cancer clinic. And I am also quite critical of Huber's so-called cancer research that she lays out on her website. So in my blog post, I talk about um, this retrospective case study, as Huber calls it, and her claims that um, a sugar-free diet increases the risk of cancer remission and um, improve, greatly improves the benefit of, excuse me, greatly improves, I guess, the chances of um, going into remission when you don't eat sugar and use her alternative treatments. Mm. And, and and what kind of evidence does she provide to, to back that up? So she's been conducting what she calls a retrospective case study, where since 2006, she has been collecting data from patients, from her own patients at her clinic. And as far as I can tell, she collects data about uh, when they were diagnosed, what type of cancer they've been diagnosed with and how that diagnosis was made. And then as far as I understand the research, you know, she uses the patient's own, um, you know, subjective analysis of whether or not they're following a sugar-free diet. So she basically asks, are you following the diet recommendations? Yes or no. And how, how closely are you following these recommendations? And she's been publishing a version of this research since about 2013. So, and she has some version of the study published every year from 2013 to 2016. And she makes claims on her website about this research that says, um, for example, I'll read a line from her website. Regardless of the type of cancer or the stage, sugar avoiders had more than twice the survival, 90% of the sugar eaters. So she says, um, it doesn't matter what kind of cancer you have or where the cancer is. If you don't eat sugar, you have more than twice their survival compared to people who do eat sugar. And whether or not, you know, and I, so I really criticize this research and her uh, analysis methods. And 
the way that she established herself as a cancer researcher. So I was concerned about some of the ethics of this type of research, whether or not um, an ethics committee was involved, for example, um, whether or not patients had been given informed consent. I don't know if patients were given informed consent because it's not clearly stated in her research paper, for example. As far as I can tell, this research has been either self-published or published in predatory journals, so it's not something that has been peer-reviewed. And I think anybody claiming to have a 90% cancer treatment success rate deserves to be scrutinized. I think that's a pretty bold claim and worth worth looking at critically. Um, there has also been a question of fake website in your name that popped up. What can you tell us about that? Right. So this is an interesting background. I really became interested in writing about Colleen Huber when I discovered in early 2016 that different domain names and various versions of my legal name were being purchased. And uh, at BritMarieHermes.com, there used to be a website that was dedicated to me. I called it a fake tribute website, which said things like, you know, this website is dedicated to Britt Marie and all that she does for naturopathy. And then it, the website basically went on to promote naturopathic medicine in the United States. And other domain names in my name, such as Britt Hermes or BM Hermes, were forwarding automatically to various naturopathic websites. Like One, for example, went to the American Association for Naturopathic Physicians. So I began to, of course, be curious about who was purchasing these names. And I discovered that the, the BritMarieHermes.com website was being hosted through a website called Wix.com. And the account for that website was linked to, or excuse me, was associated with an email address at natonco.org. Natonco.org is the domain name for Naturopathic Cancer Society, which is a nonprofit organization that raises money for patients who want to pursue naturopathic care. And Colleen Huber is the founder and is on the board for this Naturopathic Cancer Society. So it really, you know, drew my attention to her and to her practice and sort of led me to look critically at Uh, what she was doing and and really just made me interested in Colleen Huber in general. Mm. Yeah, so so well, we, we can't say exactly, but it seems like it's not unrelated to her at least these uh, f fake websites popping up. That's right, that's right. I now um, have gained control of these websites because I filed a domain name dispute resolution through ICANN, which is the international organization that sort of is in charge of all things internet. So I now have, I now own the domain name. I don't know for certain who used to own the domain name, but regardless, uh, it pointed me in the Huber or in the direction of Huber and sort of made me look at, at her critically. Yeah, right. So this lawsuit, I, I believe it started in September, is that right, last year? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How, how, how long can such a thing take? I mean, even let's assume for a moment that it has no grounds and you will win at the end. It will still take a long time to, to fight this. 
Yeah, so I'm learning some interesting differences between U.S. legal process and the German legal process. In general, things move a bit faster in Germany, so I'm grateful for that. As you mentioned, so I received the cease and desist letter in August. About a month later, September 17th, the lawsuit was filed. Now in January, it seems like we're just starting to get into the meat of the case. My lawyer expects that uh, we will go to court for a hearing sometime between May and August. And whether or not we have a ruling at that time or if there's some sort of appeal or if it's drawn out, it's not entirely clear to me. But it could be that this is all settled by the end of the year, which I think um, would be great, actually, mm. and would be pretty expedited compared to how cases tend to move in the U.S. and in other countries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really quite um, courageous of you to take this fight, uh, uh, Brit Marie. How, how are you coping with this, the pressure and why is it worth it? Thank you. I'm coping. I'm doing okay. It, can, it, it certainly comes and goes in waves. So I think, uh, I think you all know that I'm, I'm pregnant. I was, I, I got notification in the mail that I was being sued the same week that I learned that I was pregnant. Wow. So that was, that was <laughs> quite the emotional week for me. Next week, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a mixed week. I, I've, I'm learning to try to put the lawsuit in a box and mm -hmm. to put it away as much as possible. But of course, it's constantly on my mind. Sometimes I do fine. You know, last night I had consistent dreams about the lawsuit and, <laughs> and talking about it and being in court. I am really, really lucky because I have an incredible support system. My husband supports me. My family is being fully emotionally present and supportive for me. And social media, surprisingly, has been wonderful. I know social media can be kind of a scary, nasty place, but I've had such a wonderful outpouring of support from the science and the skeptic community. And every email that is sent to me Trust me, everyone, I am reading every single email and, you know, just soaking up the kind words of encouragement. It has just been really, it has been really uh, special for me and really helpful for me to have this community behind me. Yeah. And, and speaking of support, maybe we should go over to you, Iran. You are uh, representing the Australian skeptics and, and you, all the way from across the globe, you were rather quick, I would say, to, to go to to create this initiative to support uh, Brit Marie. So how, how did that happen? And when did you get involved? When did you know learn about this? So uh, Brit and I had a, a chat um, in October. Um, and uh, because Brit was uh, going to be participating in our convention, our national convention in November. Uh, it was in Sydney and uh, Brit was going to come And we had a chat about uh, how things were going in general. There were some uh, administrative issues. Uh, Britt was also not feeling very well at the time because of uh, morning sickness. Um, so uh, we, we were putting just putting it chatting. lightly, I think. Yeah, put, yeah I think, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, morning, morning, afternoon and, uh, and evening sickness. Oh, um, 
so we we were talking about that and whether she could make it make it eventually. Brit participated over a, a video uh, re- remotely, which was uh, still uh, hugely uh, appreciated by our audience. But uh, that that's a side issue because in discussing this, she told me again. This is uh, back in early October. She told me uh, about the uh, the lawsuit and uh, obviously. It was something that was a major concern on top of uh, not feeling very well from being uh, pregnant. So I must say that to me, immediately, I, I felt that we needed to do something. I didn't say something immediately, but um, um, but I, th- I think it took a couple of days uh, for me to get back to, to Britain, just say, look, uh, Brit, we, we've done this in the past. We we need to organize something. And I must admit, I didn't necessarily think that it would be Australian skeptics. I just thought that it would be a good idea for the skeptical community to rally behind her. And, uh, but very quickly it became us because, first of all, because, uh, we came up with the, with the idea, but also because we have form in this matter. We, in 2011, uh, Dr. Ken Harvey, a, an Australian, um, public health professional was sued for defamation. For complaining about a uh, fake weight loss product, um, Ken took that as a professional risk kind of thing because he complains regularly about various quacks. Uh, but I heard on the radio that he was being sued, and I contacted him, um, and uh, we ended up raising funds for him, and he ended up not being out of pocket. And at some point, Ken said. I don't remember what there was. It was like a gap of like two thousand dollars between his uh, his bills and what we had raised, and uh, and he said, "Oh, it's okay. You know, it's part of the risk I take when I make these complaints." And <laughs> I said, "Ken, this isn't about you. Uh, we are sending a message here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are we are telling quack, quacks everywhere that you can you cannot simply try to silence a skeptic who does the right thing." by trying to uh, impose a financial burden on them, by suing them. So it is very important. It was very important for me at the time to make sure that Ken is not out of pocket at all. Um, and we've achieved that uh, mm-hmm. through the power of the skeptical community in Australia. Uh, it was really quite incredible. But again, we're talking about something that happened um, uh, six and a half years ago. Uh, time has passed. But you know, we retained that passion to, to do these kind of things. So I spoke to Brit about it, asked her whether she would be interested. Of course she was. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it took us a while to get to the point where we launched the campaign. At some point, we didn't want to launch over the December, uh, you know, as things slow down for December and all that. So, so we launched, um, what is it? Uh, four days ago, uh, we've launched the campaign. And uh, we're very happy with the way it's going so far. The uh, I'm not at liberty to mention numbers at the moment, but it's it's going very well. Uh, mm. The response is quite incredible. I give uh, uh, Brit uh, regular updates, and uh, I think um, she's feeling highly uh, relieved and and happy with the way things are going. Uh, it's also important to point out that the this a campaign like this doesn't you know it's definitely not just me. Uh, I'm being um, uh, it's it's co-run by Tim Mendham, who's the uh, executive officer of Australian Skeptics, and by uh, committee member Alithia Dean. And we have established a an advisory committee uh, with Steve and Jay Novella from the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, with Marsh, Michael Marshall from uh, Good Thinking Society, 
and with Claire Klingenberg from uh, EXO, from the European Council for Skeptical Organizations. Um, so they are reviewing our plans. They're reviewing how things are progressing. When we have things that we want to do, for example, we are now looking into the form of update that we will provide to the public. You know, it's very good to have a group of uh, dedicated and experienced individuals who can give us various um, views on on how we should go about it. So again, it's a group effort and it's going very well. And the skeptical community is quite incredible. Uh, we will, in a few days, uh, publish some interim results. And I think everybody will be very, very happy with the way it's gone. That's great. That's great. Yeah, well, so as you mentioned, there's docs in Australia, but we also have some examples here. You know, Simon Singh and, and this, uh, was sued. Skeptics Guide to the Universe, again, the ones that you, the guys you mentioned in US. Um, how can we as a, as a skeptic community be better prepared to support each other in the future? Um, I guess, you know, now we're looking at one of the examples of coming together when, when is, and if needed, but um, sort of looking forward. So the first thing we can do is not get sued. And I'm, I'm not saying that it, it sounds like I'm saying it in jest, but I'm not. Uh, I think uh, skeptical activists need to be very careful. You can't, you cannot completely avoid being sued. You, you know, you can get frivolous lawsuits. Um, you can even get lawsuits that are not frivolous, but are really don't stand much of a chance but are still brought forward because the person who sues feels aggrieved to the degree that they feel they have no choice. I think we have to make it very difficult to sue by being just cautious in what we say. And I have to say that one of the things that we looked at when we, as a committee, when we decided to support Brit was whether she was particularly imprudent. We said, you know, because... People do get sued occasionally, but we can't be in a position where every time somebody gets sued, we support them. You know, we need to choose our our targets. And uh, one of the things we looked at, we looked at what Britta said about the, the cease and desist letter that she was sent. We looked at the information and we came to the conclusion that she was not particularly imprudent. Of course, you know, you can always, in retrospect, look at things and say, oh, yeah, maybe I could have worded this or that a little bit differently and make it harder to to be sued. But in general... She just wrote facts, at least there were facts from the perspective that she saw them, and opinions, which are definitely protected. So uh, we felt that it was definitely beyond the fact that Brit is worthy of support for her activism. She was also worthy of support from a, a, a legal perspective in some sense. So legal, um, legal from our perspective, you know, we, we, we did uh, get advice from legal professionals, but we did not really go into the legal case with uh, too much uh, detail. We actually... Throughout the campaign, we're staying away from the legal aspect of the of the case. Um, so that is that is one thing: not get sued. Secondly, when we thought about this campaign, one of the things we've discussed was what to do with any excess funds, should there be any. And one of the things, so we decided on supporting Sense About Science. Um, so basically, donating the money. It was quite clear to us that nobody related to this campaign can benefit from a single cent from this campaign, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but the money, we don't want the money just, you know, lying around. We, we, we want it, we want this money to go to a good cause. And therefore we thought we donated to Sense About Science because they are, they have international presence. They're not, uh, they're not in a single country. They do good work. Uh, Brit has had previous association with them. 
So, but we are now also looking into another uh, possibility, and it is actually in the campaign material. So anybody who reads about the campaign will see that it is an option that we're considering, and that is uh, saving those funds, donating those funds to a fund or foundation that will be there to support future skeptics who are being sued for defamation. The reason we haven't established something like this just yet is because it requires a lot of consideration. We need to be very cautious about how the funds are saved. It needs a lot of um, governance, uh, which we are not, definitely at Australian Skeptics, we're not prepared to uh, take on ourselves just yet. So we will be looking into this over the coming uh, weeks and months. But the goal is to establish such a fund and then skeptics who are sued in the future especially if they, you know, there are cases like Brit, somebody who's been doing particularly good work, has been out there and he sued in what we, for what, for what we believe is uh, the good work that they do rather than for being just, uh, just looking for being sued, which, you know, some people do, then uh, we will be able to support them. But in general, I must say, again, I'm seeing the numbers, I, I, which I, I'm really I'm itching to tell you, but, but you really, <laughs> you really can't just yet. Uh, the, the skeptical community does rally behind people. I mean, we've seen this with Ken Harvey. We're seeing it again now. Uh, we have, I can, I, one thing I can tell you is that we've had close to 1200, 1200 donations so far. So. Wow. That, that's a, again, you know, the engagement is very high here. We have quite a few donations of, uh, up to ten dollars, uh, which means that this is not. We're not talking about people who can donate a significant amount of money, but they still want to donate. They still want to rally and support. And I think that is a lesson that we need to learn. The skeptical community will rally behind an activist who deserves to be support deserves to be supported. And it's something, by the way, that I said to Brit. I think back on the very first time that I mentioned the possibility of supporting her. This kind of said the the skeptical community will rally behind you. You can be confident that it will happen if we organize it it will happen and you will be supported and you will not suffer financially from this lawsuit yeah no i I think there's a lot of that to to comment on i think one thing is that we need to mobilize whatever legal expertise we have in the movement and i'm sure we do because there are all kinds of people in the skeptical skeptical movement so that both for that we are educated enough to know what you can say and what you should not say about uh, quackery and people that we feel are doing immoral or or pseudoscientific things. So that's one thing to educate us, but also to handle this kind of things in 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 a professional way, so we know that so we know that it works. We know that we get the best representation possible, and that we are doing doing it in the right way. Yeah. Look, I I, I can say that the the two things that will mostly get you out of trouble from a legal perspective, and again, as I've been looking at this for a number of years now for various reasons, one is make sure that you've got your facts absolutely right. If the truth is that you cannot be, I mean, you can be sued for defamation, but you will you will win if you've got your facts correct. And very often it's worthy, uh, it, it's a worthwhile to uh, actually mention the facts, mention how you know the facts. So there's no doubt that what you're saying is is supported by evidence, which is basically skepticism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, the, the other thing is when you uh, mention an opinion, when you voice your opinion, simply saying, in my opinion, isn't 
enough does not make it into an opinion. You can actually make a statement of fact backed by their saying, in my opinion. So you can say, in my opinion, X is a fraud. That's not, that does not make it an opinion. Okay. <laughs> that you've basically stated a fact and the fact needs to be backed up. And it needs, to, uh, and, and if not, then you've accused somebody of fraud. And you will be, you, you have a very high chance of being sued for something like this. So it's, there are certain things that are considered opinion. Not everything that you say without evidence is an opinion. And it's very important that, um, people are, get good, you know, if they're not sure, they get, uh, legal advice in the country where they operate, but also internationally, uh, especially people with a uh, high profile or with, you know, where, everybody's now read all over the world. So, you know, be very careful what you say and how you say it. And But if the truth is on your side and your opinions are really opinions that cannot be um, construed in any other way, then you're pretty safe generally. Yeah, the con the context matters for sure is what I think um, you're also getting at, Iran. The context matters and showing in your writing or in your statements that you've done your due diligence to make sure that you did get the facts right, so that you are making every effort possible to tell the truth and to make accurate statements. When that is shown in your statements and your writing, then you're really um, setting the stage for uh, a safe argument or a safe opinion. Yeah. Britt-Marie, it seems that you n knew a lot about this or you were very careful to uh, phrase your opinions and your blogs in in the correct way what how did you know that i mean did you have a background legal background did you have anybody you could consult it or what did you do right so i spent a lot of time reading about the law in both germany and the us i was very nervous from the beginning of being sued. I knew I was going to piss people off. That was clear. I knew I would be threatened and I knew people would want to silence me. So I wanted to make sure that I had a really thorough understanding of, um, just like Iran was saying, you know, what constitutes opinion? Can I just throw in my opinion in front of a statement and, <laughs> and make it an opinion? And I learned exactly what Iran was, was explaining is that that's not the case. And I also spent a lot of time asking people I trusted to proofread articles for me and to give me advice on how to write and how to ensure that I was doing due diligence and showing that I was doing due diligence and to check statements for me and to make the articles safe. I really, and I think I show this in my writing, really... Um, go out of my way to make sure that I am stating the truth and try to uncover, you know, every piece of information that I possibly can and follow every lead and to lay information out there just as facts and try to let readers draw their own conclusions when, when possible. What's interesting about Germany versus the U.S. is that uh, the German law is more... Um, plaintiff friendly, I guess. So it's much easier to sue for defamation in Germany. And some of the laws in Germany regarding defamation are a bit outdated. 
for example, defamation is still a criminal offense here, which means, you know, it's on the books that someone who's been convicted of defamation could, in theory, serve jail time. Hmm. Now, that doesn't actually happen. It hasn't happened in a very, very, very long time. However, uh, Bastyr's lawyers were quick to point this out to me, remind this to me in their cease and desist letter and to use it to threaten me. So it's a shame that some of these archaic laws can be used to to threaten writers or people who are speaking out against um, or criticizing you know, acts that they think are wrong and can possibly be used to silence critics or, you know, um, to silence anybody who has an opinion different from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So how can our listeners help with the fundraising? I guess it's the question to run. Yeah. So uh, they can go to um, skeptics.com.au slash Brit Hermes. Uh, B-R-I-T-T-H-E-R-M-E-S. Um, and, uh, there's a donation page there. There's also a link to a, uh, the, the donation page provides some information. There's a link from there to, to another page with a lot more information. Um, Brit has put a, uh, blog post on Naturopathic Diaries that, uh, explains the whole, um, the, uh, case, the, the legal case. Um, and we will also be providing both, uh, on Brit's, uh, blog and on our website, we will be providing updates soon. I want to point out, I've, I've mentioned earlier, uh, how well it's going. Uh, it is indeed very, going very well, but of course we haven't yet, uh, reached, uh, the level where we are confident that Brit will be supported financially to the extent that she does not, she's not out of pocket. Um, so there's still, we're still awaiting more donations. Again, we've only been going for four days, so, uh, there's still time to go. And beyond that, any donation that is not used to support Brit will be used for, to support other skeptical activities or potentially, uh, as I mentioned earlier, support future cases where skeptics are being sued for defamation or for being skeptical activists. So, yeah. Again, skeptics.com.eu slash Brit Hermes. Yeah, I, I would, you know, without asking you, Iran, I would give, uh, I, I would encourage people to go in and give a recurring. You, I, I noticed you can do a monthly contribution because we don't know how long this will go on. And uh, I would encourage everybody to go in and say, if you can spare, you know, like five or ten dollars a month, please do that because you don't know how long this will go on. Yeah, and, and absolutely. Thanks very much for mentioning that, Pontus. It's uh, it definitely is something. There have been a number of uh, donors who have uh, put in a recurring donation, and uh, of course, every little bit helps. Yeah. So uh, I would I would like to point out that this has not been just Brit and uh, and us putting it out there. We have been um, part of the planning and preparation for this campaign was. Uh, sending information about this campaign to a fairly large number of skeptical organizations and individuals who have all responded very positively and have been putting it out there, have been uh, uh, doing, you know, we've been doing interviews just like this one, um, and people have been posting it on their blogs, on their podcasts, social media, and it's really been quite incredible, um, uh, the support. It's, this is definitely not something that is uh, Australian skeptics doing it alone. Very good. So, um, anything else you want to mention, Britt Marie, uh, before we close? I do. I, I want to say again how 
incredible it's been emotionally to be supported by this community. And regardless of whether you've donated, sharing the post on Facebook, sharing the post on um, Twitter and other social media outlets, spreading the word to friends and family, this all helps and this all matters because you spread it and then the next person spreads it and the next person spreads it and this really just helps um, share to the wider public what is going on and the response from the community has just been overwhelmingly unbelievably positive and so the financial support is key of course I I am desperate for it and I'm grateful for it and my tiny growing family is incredibly thankful hmm. for it but beyond the financial support the emotional support that's been offered to me through this campaign through social media through emailing through all of you just rallying behind me has been wonderful and I thank you from the very bottom of my heart. Thank you. Great. So again, if people want to know more and read about you or about how to uh, help financially or otherwise, where can they go? They can go to my blog, naturopathicdiaries.com, where I have a recent blog post up about the case and many links to the fundraising site, which is over at skeptics.com.au slash Brit Hermes. Great. So, Brit Marie Hermes and and Iran Segev, thank you very much for the interview. I'm sure we will be in touch again about this, and we will of course follow this and support this uh, as much as we can from the ESP. Mm. Thanks, guys. And uh, you know, I know it's not great that uh, Brit Marie is being sued, but it's great to see the support of the community and how the people are rally behind and uh, come through. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hang in there. <laughs> yeah, hang, hang in there. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. You may know that Brit Hermes who is an international skeptical campaigner about naturopathy, is currently being sued for defamation. Britt used to be a naturopath herself, but she now spends a lot of time and effort exposing naturopathic practices, including on her own blog, Naturopathic Diaries. She's been taken to court in Germany by US-based naturopath, quote, doctor, end quote, Colleen Huber, who is claiming that Brit has defamed her on her blog. Huber is a critic of chemotherapy and radiation therapy in cancer treatment. Instead, she uses, quote, natural, end quote, therapies that include intravenous infusions of vitamin C and baking soda. The international skeptical community is concerned that the case against Brit may have the effect of silencing a major campaigner against unproven and disproven, quote, medical, end quote, practices through the imposition of considerable legal costs. For this reason, the Australian skeptics have set up a fundraising campaign to help cover Brit's legal costs. If you would like to contribute to the fund, 
or you want some more information, then go to www.skeptics.com.au slash Brit Hermes. That's B-R-I-T-T-H-E-R-M-E-S. www.skeptics.com.au slash Brit Hermes. So wonderful. Um, very grateful for uh, Brit Marie and uh, Aaron coming on the show. And I think Aaron has had uh, s- some sacrifices that he made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, exactly. He, he, he was a really uh, heroic person to get up at, uh, you know, we started his interview <laughs> at evening. But of course, in Australia, it's six o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> yeah, that's the. Be- I guess that's the beauty of Skype. You can call with whoever, whatever time. But the time difference in Australia is pretty dramatic to the Europe. So yeah, I wonder what we the f- flat earthers say about this. But um, oh, but there is. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the the episode uh, of the interview. And I would just to say what they say on one of my podcasts that I actually can. S- send a shout out to it's opening arguments this is a, about legal stuff and they, they mm-hmm. always say don't take legal advice from a podcast and that applies also to the esp <laughs> there were some in the interview there are the, some there were some things no, there, were suggest- it, just, there were suggestions well, they weren't it wasn't the legal advice it, all right but before you go out criticizing uh quacks and and others do make sure that you do know what you're doing because it is uh, it's, I think, you know, in all seriousness, it is easy to pass the line, especially if you're a little bit uh, agitated and, and upset about something. Be careful with what you say, because you don't want to get sued. Even if you're right, you don't want to get sued. Okay, so before we go, uh, just a quick reminder for everybody who wants to get in touch with us for one reason or the other, uh, suggestions and criticism, uh, you can find us on www.com theesp.eu you can email us our, our email address is info at theesp.eu um, and you can go on Facebook and, and find us there like us there follow us there leave a comment leave a message uh, also if you get our podcast on iTunes please uh, leave us a review and just generally spread the word yeah absolutely and and if you go to the website, make sure that you check out the events in Europe page. Actually, there's, you know, I know you can't go to 23 different uh, skeptics in the pub in Europe in one week. But I think it's actually quite interesting to look through what topics are are being uh, uh, talked about in Europe as well. I think I think that gives you a good idea of what's hot and what's not, etc. Um, so do that. Usually here I, I, uh, encourage people to, to sign up on Patreon, etc. Uh, this week, I don't think you should do that. I think instead you should support the, the fundraising to support, uh, uh, Brit Mary Hermes. So, so go to the links that we will have in the show notes and, and do what you can because she really yeah. needs the help. And I think it's a good, uh, well, it's a very worthwhile cause. Absolutely, and I uh, second that, Pontus. So, please do. Um, 
and let's prove uh, that as a community, as a skeptic community, we can be there for each other when we need to, which I'm sure we can. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Pontus. I think that's Thanks it for lot. today's episode. And we'll see you all guys uh, f- next week. Yes, we will. Until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Wait, I, I, I'm sorry. It's early. I thought that each of us was supposed to... No, that's fine. Never mind. You'll see, you'll see spikes. I will see one spike. It's all good. And it's I all know good it's in you. the hood. It's fine. Great. You'll see two spikes, yeah. <laughs> We're so hey, professional. Oh six my god. Six six AM <laughs> Okay. I can do what I can do whatever I want and it will be reasonable. <laughs> well, where did I send it? Maybe I sent it to somebody else. <laughs> okay, I got it. I got it. Good, I got it. Good, good. <laughs> oh, now I'm gonna laugh. Okay.